0: Hi, everybody. I'm Art Stevens, your host for the PR Masters podcast series. And today, it's my unique pleasure to spend time with the CEO of the largest public relations organization in the world, Edelman. And of course, I speak of Richard Edelman. So if the word legend applies to anybody at all in the world of public relations, it truly applies to Richard Edelman. His agency has taken the world of public relations by storm during the past 30 years or so, and it has led the way in growth, innovation, a vision for the future, and extraordinary results for its long list of global clients. Under Richard's leadership, the agency now does more than $1 billion a year in revenues, the first ever public relations agency to do so. It has set the standard for the public relations agency business and obviously the bar is exceedingly high. Who would have thought you 10, 20 years ago that an agency would do a billion dollars in revenues? So Richard, as you know, is the son of Daniel J. Edelman, who founded the firm in 1952. Richard was named CEO in 1996, taking over for his father, who remained chairman until he passed away in 2013. So now in his 26th year as CEO, Richard is one of the longest tenured agency leaders in the marketing services industry. So it's my pleasure, really my distinct pleasure, to welcome Richard Edelman to the PR Masters series. And, Richard, how are you today?
1: I'm great, Art. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I go back to um, when you and I were competing, uh, when you were running Lobes and Stevens and um it was a fi- it was a fi- it was a fine firm and and you and your partner were really great, great and smart and all that.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Richard. You have a you have a good memory. Yeah, you and I actually were on a number of panels together back in the day and I remember you mentioning the word CD-ROM, you know, a word that I had never heard of before. <laughs> uh you were do you remember? You were ahead of your of the times when it came to technology and obviously that's been a major factor in the growth of your firm. So Welcome. Who could have imagined though, Richard, that uh, any agency, I could never have imagined that any PR agency could reach a billion dollars in revenue. You know, so this obviously speaks volumes about both your leadership and vision, but it's also, I guess, a testament to the growth of public relations generally. Did you ever think that Edelman would ever reach a billion dollars in revenues along the way? Look, I took over
1: uh, from my dad uh, in 96 and we were about $85 million. And so could i imagine that we would grow by 12 times to that level no <laughs> um but 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 at each level so our growth was not linear meaning uh it came in phases so it, when i took over as ceo the first thing i tried to do was to um expand our uh footprint uh outside of uh us in particular in latin America and, and asia um and canada then went um quite heavily and aggressively into digital, which was a big growth driver, sort of from you know two thousand nine till about two thousand sixteen and then we diversified the firm to be a communications firm, so we added creative and data and planners and experiential, and that's been another growth driver so those are sort of the three phases: global expansion, digital, and then uh, diversification. And so today, one quarter of our total staff is non-PR. They're they're in you know, digital, data, other things.
0: That's amazing. So what's next? What what is next to conquer? I mean, where do you think uh, your agency will go to reach its second billion?
1: Well, um, we're trying to grow verticals in public affairs, and financial PR, and influencer. So I think all three of those could be somewhere around $100 million units. We also are trying to continue to balance our geographic footprint because at the moment, um, between the U.S. and the U.K., it's about 70%, and the rest of the world is very big. (laughs) So that 30% has to grow to 50%. And then we also have... A really important uh, rebalancing of the firm towards uh, global clients and so the balance between the geographic management and global client management is uh, is important for us because we don't want to do what some firms did which is just say oh all we do is global clients I think that's a mistake for PR because we need to be multi local not just multinational
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: because PR is essentially a culture business, a, a one of connection and, and of local feel, because markets are so different. So that's why we need local clients as well as global clients.
0: Richard, it's inconceivable to me that anyone in the world of public relations agencies could manage a. An enterprise that does more than a billion dollars in revenues I mean I had enough trouble with my own firm back in the day uh, never obviously having reached that level of uh, success in terms of financial rewards how do you manage a billion dollar corporation I know you've got some tremendously high-quality people of course but what's the difference in terms of what you do today compared to what you did say 15 20 years ago in managing such a vast enterprise
1: so we ran it, you know, sort of 20 years ago based on uh, geography only and now Edelman's a sort of more four-corner operation, which is, yes, still geography, um, but then we have the global client leaders, and there are about 30 of those, and then we have practice leaders in health and tech and uh, food and uh, brand and corporate, and then we also have what we call integrated solutions, which is all the data and digital, etc., And uh, the intersection point for those four groups is the client and making sure that the client's best served. So management's a daily work in progress. And for for me, Art, the biggest thing that I'm trying to push Edelman to is to differentiate ourselves from other communications firms on the basis that... We want clients to do and not just communicate. And so we want to be part of the process of saying to KFC, hey, you know, it's after the murder of George Floyd, you only have 5% of your franchisees who are black, and that's because they don't have the money to do it. And so why don't you create a fund uh, to help um, those store managers become franchisees? And they did it. And they that has now changed but drastically, double, tripled the number of black franchisees. So, so I want our company to be part of fixing problems.
0: Well, you know that leads to my next question because uh, I'm very well aware of how. Dedicated you are to the quality of life of uh, of Edelman employees and the motivational things that you do. Could you describe the workplace for Edelman and some of the things you have done, you know, to obviously motivate and excite your employees worldwide? So I give my brother John
1: great credit for this. Um, he runs the Edelman Foundation, and literally we donate five percent of our pre-tax in free work for nonprofit clients like the boris henson uh foundation mental health for african americans is just an example The 9 11 museum in new york is another example and um we also do matching grants for um charities that our people sit on the board of and we really encourage people to be in their communities look the pandemic has changed uh work in such a way as uh, I would say we're asking people for hybrid three days in, two days out of office. And I think that's still a work in progress in the US, less an issue in Europe or Asia.
0: Richard, um, just a little bit about you now. Mm. Um, Obviously your dad, whom I I had the pleasure of of meeting and and, uh, being in contact with a, a little bit over the years, a wonderful gentleman. And uh, my question to you is: Did you always want to get into the business? Did you do something else before you got into the, you know, the Edelman agency, or did you always have the desire to join your dad in the business? So uh,
1: actually, I thought I was going to work in um, a big company and be in marketing. And I worked at First National Bank of Chicago, Swift and Company. Also, I worked at uh, Bell & Howell, which is an early tech company, and so actually I was all set to go work at Playtex as an associate product manager in 1978 after I got out of business school, and my father called me and said, um, look, I have an offer to be acquired by uh, an ad agency. I don't really want to do it. I'd like you to come uh, to work with me uh, so that I have a reason to uh, carry on. And so I said, "Okay, yeah, I'll do it for a year, see how it goes and um, one year's turned into forty four <laughs> so it's it's yeah. gone I mean literally, I joined Edelman when it was six million dollars, and yeah. um it was a very small business Wow. um but my dad and I worked together for uh thirty five years thirty four years something like
0: that oh my wow wow, 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 um and uh, well, you you certainly took the baton and uh, carried it from there, didn't you? Your, uh, I'm sure your dad is very, very you know proud of you and what the firm has become. Um, well, Art, there's a funny make... story at his 90th at his 90th birthday party. He literally put his hand on my
1: shoulder and said, uh, "Son, I think I think you, you can take the firm over now." I said, "But but I've been CEO already for like uh, 15 years." He goes, "No, no, <laughs> you really understand now. You you can do it now." <laughs> <laughs> Like I I've like talked so about that,
0: you know. I guess <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, you you have been a successful entrepreneur. How do you feel that uh, the you know that Edelman the the agency has been able to provide both quality work for clients and still manage a growing enterprise? How do you balance the two? So Art, the single word is independence. I mean, you stayed independent, we stayed independent,
1: and I think there's no question that the the reality of, of Edelman being the number one in the market since since 2011 is our choice to have stayed independent and not sell out to a holding company. And so when there's a recession, um, more or less, we've always tried to, you know, cinch in our belts and suck it up. And also, we've really been able to invest ahead of the party, meaning all these creative people and digital people and all this, you know, we, we just kept we couldn't have done that if we were at a holding company, number one, because they would have had their own digital agencies or creative agencies, and number two, because on the margin side, the holding company would expect 20% plus margins, and we don't do that. If we're at 15%, I'm really thrilled. So, And also, Art, the the huge investment we've made in trust. I mean, think about the the fact that we've put a seven-figure sum every year into trust for 22 years. And... That's become, I think, the most important piece of intellectual property in the category, and it's used in board meetings, and it's used in academia, and it's become a reference point. So, of all the things I've done as CEO, probably that's the one I'm most proud of, the the launch of the Trust Barometer in in, the year 2000.
0: Yeah, I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute, the trust barometer. But, but you know, you have made acquisitions. In fact, I'm, I remember I worked with uh, one on you, that uh, Texas firm that you acquired, you know, some years back. I, I was uh, involved in that. What's your GTT. view about making acquisitions? What, sorry? GTT, I remember it, gone to Texas. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So
1: yeah. I, I would say they're necessary for a firm like ours in terms of, broadening the geographic footprint. They've also been hugely helpful in giving us more depth. For example, the two tech firms we bought, GTT, and also A&R in Silicon Valley, were very helpful in giving us the franchise and tech that we have today, nearly 20% of our business. and. Acquisitions have also helped us dimensionalize the firm. So, for instance, we bought UEG United Entertainment Group from United Talent Agency, and now we can do experiential or we can do uh, um, Hollywood deals. And so we have new skills. So that's how we use our cash. We don't, um, you know, pay money to the family kind of thing.
0: Right. You know, you volunteer a lot of your time to other organizations and causes. Uh, You have a a long bio that I I could have read, but to save time, I just wanted to have you maybe just, you know, chat about it because you do give a lot of your time to uh, various other interests of yours. How do you find time to do it? And why do you feel it's important to you? You know, Art, I, I feel
1: that, um, one of the keys to my success is constant networking and also being in the world. And I, uh, Give my time, for example, this morning to the Atlantic Council. uh, And some of our clients are now involved with the Atlantic Council on, on, uh, you know, disinformation or or other issues. Um, I've also been active with the uh, Ad Council and trying to help them on on public service campaigns like, um, you know, during the pandemic, about getting people vaccinated. And again, there's such an overlap between what I do nonprofit and professionally. And then some I do just because I feel as a citizen one should. I'm I'm on the board of the 9-11 Museum and Edelman did the volunteer work after 9-11 to help recovery in lower Manhattan and then uh, the opening of the museum. And so I I just think that that's, that's necessary for any person who wants to be a leader in our sector. If you're simply going to the office and then working with clients and going home, you're not in the world. You know, you got to bring the world to your
0: clients. Good point, really good point. And uh, listeners, take note. One of your great innovations, uh, Richard, is the Edelman Trust Barometer. We now let's let's spend a few moments on that. Was this your idea, and uh, how did it come about, and how have you been able to use its results to to further the business interests of the agency?
1: So, art. It goes back to when I was manager of Edelman Europe, and I was in. Uh, Germany and the Greens were picketing um, Herkst, which is a large chemical company, because they had had some incident over the night of, of you know, pollution or whatever on, on the cars. And the reality of civil society then really came to me during the battle in Seattle in 1999, when the NGOs stormed the World Trade Organization meeting and protested uh, inequality on the basis of globalization. And so. I just wondered how trustworthy the NGOs were relative to business and government and media. And we brought the results out in 2000 and found that NGOs were the most trusted and that there were real shortcomings uh, with leaders in classic institutions such as business and government. And then we just continued it through the Iraq War and then through the Great Recession in 8 09, and then, you know, through the rise of populism in 2016 and disinformation and you know, now in the pandemic period. And we've just accelerated the pace of the studies. You know, we did 10 last year, we did 10 the year before, we're gonna do 10 this year. Sector studies, like one on health, did uh, one on on employees, the new face of the employee. Um, We we, uh, just did one on brands for the Can-Ad festival, showing the power of Gen Z uh, as magnetic for for the other uh, age groups. And so I feel really good about that. And I feel really good about the fact that we can bring quality data to clients and have them move, because we did a a study the month after George Floyd's murder, and we said, you know, if you stand up and speak up as a brand about race, you get a seven times increase if you have a Democrat answering and a two times increase if you have a Republican. So therefore, it's a winner. So stand up about race.
0: Well, obviously, you know, the Edelman Trust Barometer has gotten a tremendous amount of exposure and, you know, to me as somebody who I consider myself to be, you know, creative in terms of the things that I've done, you know, in my my public relations career, it is an amazing concept and obviously one that has been proven so beneficial, you know, to the your organization. I imagine you, uh, when you, when you go after new business prospects, I imagine that this Trust Barometer plays a part in those discussions. Does it? It does. It does, particularly
1: now that um, geopolitics is, is the new uh, question for companies. 1,300 companies have gotten out of Russia, and companies that stayed in have a trust deficit, and the companies that have gotten out have a trust boost. And people buy brands on the basis of, of whether you know, brands have stayed in or gotten out. And the broader question is how do you balance all of these new responsibilities of business? You know, race. Sustainability, wage levels, reskilling, then questions of abortion, voting rights, you know, education. Uh, So it's very complicated for business now that it's the most trusted institution in our study. How far can business go and what things should CEOs focus on? And I say, if it's in your swim lane, speak up. If it's not, you know, you can be part of a group, but be careful.
0: Richard, how has public relations changed since you got into it? You obviously got into it early on. You know, you're, you're as you indicated, uh, Edelman was doing about $6 million or so when you joined the firm. Quite a difference between then and now. But uh, how, how has public relations changed, in your view, since you got into it? And what do you envision to be its future? So, in my
1: early years, everything was communicated through media and having a Serious set of connections with reporters, which you had to cultivate based on drinks or playing squash or whatever else, um, is, is was the key to the door. And I think now the ability to tell stories directly by having compelling both short form and longer form uh, material that you can post on the company's own channels or you know in short form on TikTok or other. You have to be a different kind of storyteller. You can't just pitch uh, stories art. You have to actually be able to craft them yourselves.
0: Hmm. So you've got a lot on your plate, Richard. Uh, I'm just curious, as as a manager, you know, with, with a vast sprawling enterprise uh, that uh, obviously uh, employs thousands of people, how do you spend your day? You know, ha- how do you uh, determine what? What areas you should be involved with on on each given day, given that you're involved in so many things
1: so the first thing to tell you is I still work on clients I work on uh, Unilever on a couple of brands i'm uh, some I'm the senior person on our edelman's biggest client. I also work on the dairy industry i I work on pitches i'm doing one next week to an agriculture company I go to events such as Davos or the can ad festival to meet CMOs or meet CEOs, uh, and I try to be a visible public face on trust. We have another one coming out in September that I'm looking at the questionnaire uh, shortly. So, and and then I spend a lot of time talking to our own uh, people. You know, I have half a dozen direct reports, and and, uh, they're running the various parts of the business
0: yeah you know obviously you've made you've made it a point you know to uh, obviously recruit the the best people out there and you clearly have many uh individuals within your organization who have been with the the firm you know quite a long time which obviously speaks well for you know the uh, present and future of, of Edelman uh question about uh, your your vision you know i've always i've been on a number of industry panels with you along the way richard as you know What's always impressed me about you, you know, I mentioned CD-ROM before, but you always had a vision for the future, you know, which includes the ways people and businesses communicate. Is it your commitment uh, personally to stay current with technology and ways to communicate? Is this something that you feel has been of a, of a, a great benefit to you over, over the years? Absolutely.
1: Look, I, I don't pretend to be an expert on TikTok, um, but <laughs> I, I I do – Understand and appreciate uh, LinkedIn, for instance. I, I spent you know half an hour talking to a reporter at Canab Festival uh, from LinkedIn. It's a huge B two B play. Reddit is an interesting channel, a little bit alternative for me. But I also want to reiterate to all your listeners the continued centrality of the FT, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Bloomberg, Reuters. You still got to have good connections with media. You absolutely have to be kind of um voracious in your media consumption and you know invest in that kind of education of yourself
0: yeah yeah what's your view of the overall pr agency world uh, currently where where do you think it is in contemporary life and what else does it need to do? Obviously, if you look at, uh, you know, uh, the various rankings of PR agencies, obviously the uh, the agency world has done very well over the last number of years. And, you know, with your firm being at the top with over a billion dollars, like I said earlier, who would have thought? So where do you think the PR agency world is today?
1: So I think that there are three or four firms, ourselves, Weber, Fleischmann, Um, BCW that are the sort of in in the largest global category and then followed by H&K and uh, Ogilvy, etc. But there are some really interesting new entrants. You know Real Chemistry, which was W2O, is now a $500 million business. Sard, Verbinin merged with Finsbury and Glover Park and they're a $350 million business. So some of the old reliables are eclipsed by by those newer entrants who are yeah. financed by private equity
0: yeah richard I've got a couple more questions for you if you'll indulge me, and then i, I will let you go. i know you you know you are busy yeah. and i don't I don't yep. want to take more of your time than you know than we agree to first of all, how do you want to be remembered?
1: I want to be remembered as someone who carried on his dad's legacy of private independent family business that did right by its clients and continue to innovate and grow and be entrepreneurial and be a great place to work. And then I also would like to be remembered for the trust barometer because I think that has been important and, and also that um, hopefully I raised uh, three kids who can inherit the firm and be uh, good custodians of uh, what their grandfather and grandmother started and that I've been able to carry on with my brother and sister and Generation 3 should live up to that uh, kind of ambition. And and continue to grow but also be a great place to work and and, you know be the be the different one be the one that stayed independent
0: and my final question and I'll let you go where do you see yourself Richard Edelman in the years ahead
1: so I'm going to continue to be CEO for another you know nine or ten years Um, after that I'll be chairman Uh, I would love to write a book sometime about trust and uh, I hopefully will continue to be as physically active as I am and and read books all the time, which I do. My latest recommendation, everybody, is Invisible Child about a kid who grew up in New York City and and, uh, has grown up in poverty and somehow makes it, and it's a great, compelling story. Mm
0: -hmm. Amen, since I grew up in New York City also. (laughs) Richard Edelman, on behalf of our PR Masters podcast listeners, thank you so much for joining us today, and I, I appreciate your candor, directness, and eloquence you know you are indeed a PR master uh and thank you all for joining us today I'm Art Stevens your host and managing partner of the Stevens Group I'm signing off now and I will see you all again soon with the next PR Masters podcast until then take care everybody